Welcome to freedom, becoming fully alive. As we've been meeting so far the last couple of weeks, this being our third session this morning in this series, Becoming Relationally Whole, I trust that it's becoming more and more real to you that you can be free. I know what it's like not to be free. I know what it's like to be free, and I certainly enjoy the latter. I enjoy freedom. And I'm convinced you can be free. I pray that you are becoming more convinced that you are entering into freedom to be the real you, who God created you to be. Not to try to be like somebody else, not to compare, not even to try to be like Jesus on your own strength. He's the only one that has ever lived the Christian life. And it's only until he moves in by his spirit that we can enter into the flow and the reality and the experience of the Christian life. In the word Christian, we, we find the word Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's pray and commit our time to the Lord today as we'll be talking more about the price of freedom. Lord, thank you so much for this time today, for each one here today seeking freedom, desiring more freedom for themselves, and desiring to help others enter into that reality as well. Lord, I pray that you'll drive out all discouragement here today. You'll drive out all hopelessness here today. You'll drive out anything that would get in the way of entering into the slipstream of, of your life, Lord, and uh, your provision and your grace, your power, your love, your enablement to live this life, Lord, and to live it free, not encumbered anymore, but free. Thank you, Lord, for your word that says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. This is session number three in this series, Becoming Relationally Whole, The Price of Freedom. I have a verse I want to read at the outset today. It's not in your outline. I know you're getting used to that by now, that uh, I, I will often share things and quote things from God's word that aren't necessarily in your outline. Please don't let that be a distraction to you. But um, even this morning, Deuteronomy 30, 19, has been coming to my mind again and again. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, where it says, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land. That just keeps ringing in my ears this morning, so to speak. I set before you life and death, blessing and calamity, or blessing and curses. And I believe the Lord is saying, choose life. Choose life that you may live. In order to live, though, and you may already realize this, but uh, I'll remind you, in order to live, we must die. And what does that mean? Well, it means dying to, separating ourselves from the me first life. In past weeks, we talked about free to be the real you, not allowing people, places, or things to be the sum total of your life's experience or some part thereof, not letting those things define you. It's so easy to do, isn't it? But to let our Heavenly Father, who's always right, he's always right, allowing him to define us. And then last week we talked about the many flavors of me first, whether it's pride, idolatry, peace at any price, judging others unrighteously, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, all those kind of things can keep us from freedom. All those kind of things are freedom from intimacy with God. All those things must go, and they can go. They can go. And as we go on week after week in this process, I trust you're going to be experiencing the reality of that. 
But we've got to have a goal. What is the goal? Sometimes if we don't, we might have a good goal, but if we don't have God's goal, we'll just frustrate ourselves. So let's turn to Philippians 3. Philippians 3. Sometimes you'll hear people say that their life verse is thus and so. And if I have a life verse that uh, really uh, summarizes and captures the essence of, of what God has put in my heart, uh, that what my life is all about, this, this would be it, what I'm going to be reading. I prefer it in the Amplified, but this is the NIV. I'll start with verse 7, though, but uh, Philippians 3.10 is where I'm going, starting with verse 7. Philippians 7 and verses following where Paul leads up to verse 7 and says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God, the righteousness that comes from God and in is by faith. And here's verse 10. I want to know Christ. In the Amplified Version, I love what it says, my determined purpose. I love that extra emphasis. My determined purpose is to know him. Now we're talking about the Apostle Paul, the world traveler, the church planter, the one that was on fire. He was not one that settled for the status quo. He didn't just float by. He was, he was in the game, so to speak. He was fully engaged, totally sold out, knew what it meant to be stoned, knew what it meant to be left stoned and left for dead, knew what it meant to be shipwrecked, knew what it meant to face adversity, knew what it meant to see many people impacted and many people come to the Lord, but what was the most important thing to him? He didn't say, my determined purpose is to plant more churches or something else. My determined purpose is to know him, Jesus Christ. And the power of his resurrection. Oh, we like that. We love that power, don't we? But uh, then it goes on to say, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, so that somehow to attain, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> so what's the goal? We've got to have a goal. It's so easy to live on planet Earth and uh, kind of get mesmerized and drawn into the, the spirit of this age and spirit of this world, really nothing new, but it's all about you, it's all about me, it's, it's me first. It's so easy to get caught up into that and make happiness the goal. I would venture to say that if we had clipboard in hand today and we went out on a field trip and went to the various malls around the city, and I'll just say the malls because that's, those are public gathering places, people shopping and so forth. If we took off and scattered to every mall in the city and did a survey and went up to people and, and asked the question, what do you want more than anything else in life? Oh yes, the question would be answered variously. But I really believe the essence of the answers that we would receive, the majority of the answers and the essence of the response would be, I want to be happy. Is there anything wrong with that? No. The Bible even says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. God himself is the happiest person there is. <laughs> he knows who he is. He's in perfect unity, the, the only true God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Where, why, do we, why do we get unhappy? Think about it. Whenever we're unhappy, not to mention we're if we're grieving over sin or the sins of others, that's understandable. We're not going to be happy about that. But typically when we're unhappy, why is that? It's because we didn't, we didn't get our way or a disappointment or unmet goal or dream or whatever. All of that's understandable. Nothing wrong with goals and dreams and desires and all of that. But so often it's all about us, all about me. Uh, many years ago there was a movie, I didn't see the movie, uh, but it was called Wayne's World. 
And uh, it's kind of like we're living a life of, of Steve's world, or Cindy's world, or Bruce's world. In other words, it's all about me. In the book that I mentioned last week, I'm always on my mind. Is that your favorite book these days? I was always on my mind. Steve's world, is it, is it all about, what's the goal? What is the goal? Without realizing our goal can include good things and nothing wrong with happiness. I think we all like to be happy, but is that the goal? So I believe that part of what God is up to in these uh, sessions on becoming relational whole is to help us check our motives and to take a look at our motives and evaluate what is my goal? What is my goal in life? And here's what I would present to you today. If you want to be free, if you really want to be free, and you really want to come become fully alive, your goal must be Jesus Christ for himself. Not what he can do for you, and we need him desperately. We need him to forgive our sins. We need him to set us free from the demonic, from ourselves, from hell, and many things. We need him, but do you want him for what he can do for you? Or do you want him because of who he is? And you, were, you realize you were made to worship, worship him, you were made to know him, and you were made to enjoy him forever. It's so key that we've got the right goal because if we don't have God's goal, we're going to end up in the ditch right and left, and we'll go through a whole lot of unnecessary pain and suffering along the way. I was thinking, what makes life hard? Referring back to a, a passage I quoted last week, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, where Jesus says, come to me, all you that are heavy laden, overburdened, I'll give you rest. Those burdens referred to in that passage are the, are the burdens of pride and trying to control life. And that's what makes life hard. But, but the yoke of Jesus, when we're submitted to him, when we're surrendered to him, when he's our goal, when he's our life, when he is everything to us, and defines everything about us. He's the reason that we do what we do or don't do. What we don't do, he is the central perspective. He is the central reason in one. He's the goal. And it's not like he's out there and I'm still trying to reach him, but after I surrendered my life to him, he's in me and I'm in him, and it's not like we're separated anymore, but I want more of him because he's the infinite one, and I can always have more than him. And after we die, leave planet Earth, we're in heaven, and after we've been there a thousand years, we'll still be getting to know him more. Can you imagine that? More, more, more. There's always more with him because he's infinite. But I was thinking, why is life hard. Oh yes, there's going to be challenges. I referred to Paul earlier, shipwrecked more than once, stoned more than once. All that he went through, I mean, that wasn't a picnic, was it? That wasn't easy. But what makes things hard? Even he said in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, when I am weak, I am strong. What makes life hard? I really be, I believe it becomes unnecessarily hard and heavy when we're trying to control it, or when we're trying to live it on our own terms, or when we are always on our mind. I, I think of many years ago, 1979, my dad died in a plane crash suddenly, and you would have thought that really would have been hard. In the natural, a loss, a death, would be hard, wouldn't it? And I'm not saying there wasn't grieving, because there was grieving. But I can also say that the week following his death was the easiest, most peaceful week in my life up to that point. Can you imagine that? Why was it easy? Why was I in a grace bubble? Why was the Lord's provision there? Well, I gave him all the credit, but I wasn't fighting him. I wasn't fighting life. I wasn't trying to control it on the inside. You know, we can try to control it by fighting it. But why did you let this happen, Lord? How could you let this happen to me? We challenge the good one. We challenge the one who is our life. Oh, yes, he says, pour your heart out to me. Even King David in Psalm 142, verse 2, poured his complaint out to the Lord. That doesn't, that's not going to offend God or blow him away. I think his word is, tell me more about it. If you're hurting, tell me more about it. If you're grieving, tell me more about it. If you have your questions, keep on asking them. 
Open your heart, cry out to me. Yes, 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 don't shut down on me, talk to me. If you're angry at me, I wanna hear about that too. I know you're not gonna stay there. King David didn't stay there, he always ended in a good place, praising and worshiping God, because he was submitted to God, because he, he was a man after God's heart. Isn't that interesting? A man after God's heart. Are you a woman after God's heart? Is the Lord himself your desire? Is the Lord himself your goal? Life can be unnecessarily hard because of these burdens of pride and trying to control life. And life can be amazingly lubricated, amazingly easy, amazingly grace-filled in the midst of challenging, in the midst of really challenging, really challenging. Please don't hear me say that easy means, oh, I'm glad this is happening. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, bring it on. I want more. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. But in the midst of that kind of adversity, in the midst of those trials, in the midst of the challenges, what's our state of mind, attitude of heart? What is our goal in the midst of it? Is our goal, Lord, heal my marriage. When we were running our own lives early on in our marriage, living for ourselves, the Lord wasn't gonna say, bing, I hereby heal your marriage, you're living for yourself, you're abusing your wife, you're selfish, you're insanely jealous, and she's nice, but she's living her for herself too, but I'm gonna heal you anyway. That's not reality. He didn't heal us until we surrendered to him. He didn't heal us until we let him have our hearts, repented of running our lives, gave our hearts to him, and gave him his first place, then, he healed. He heals those who mourn. He heals those that grieve over their own sins and the sins of others. He heals the brokenhearted. Who are the brokenhearted? Not just those that are brokenhearted over the circumstances of life, but the ones who are brokenhearted over their sins and, and the sins of others. Those he will heal. A broken and contrite heart is pleasing to him. Those are the ones he'll heal. So this price of freedom, it doesn't just happen. Happiness being the goal and freedom don't mix. We will never be free. We will never be free if we are living for ourselves. In an earlier session, I talked about the prodigal son who wanted, among other things, his inheritance and to be free, go to the distant land. Well, what was it like in the distant land? <laughs> he was far from free, living for himself, indulging himself, and himself, Blowing the inheritance, was he free? He had more freedom of choice, didn't he? He had no restraints. He could do whatever he wants. Is that what freedom means? We are never more free than when we are surrendered totally and completely to Jesus Christ. And that relationship will include yeses and noes. It won't be, oh yes, Steve, you can do this. Steve, you can do that. Steve, you can do whatever you want to do because it's all about you, Steve, right? It's Steve's world, right? No. It's God's world. And of course, when Jesus moves in, you want to please him. And um, you care about what he wants. And you want to do what he wants. So the real answer to the real problem is the cross, the instrument of death. Oh, we don't like that, do we? <laughs> I mean, who's crazy about the cross? We don't, we don't especially like what it does to us. But you know what? What it does to the real us, the eternal us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, there's no resistance there. But you know what part of us resists the cross? <clears throat> the flesh. The temporary part of us. The temporary part of us, which includes our memories, our habits, our thought patterns, our experiences, which is true small, uh, small T, but it isn't true capital T, because true capital T, the truth about us, capital T, is we're a son, we're a daughter, if we're surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And even if we do the things we don't want to do, that part of us that wants to do things that we know <clears throat> are not pleasing to the Lord, that is the flesh. It's, it's not a part of our identity. It's not an identity issue. It's a behavior issue. It's a history issue. Identity is either out of Christ or in Christ. The old has passed away, the old identity. The new has come, the new identity. The dead man is, the old man is dead. The old man is not synonymous with the flesh. The old man has to do with our old previous spiritual condition. And we can't be in two kingdoms at once. You can't be lost and found at once. You can't be outside of Christ and in Christ at the same time. 
So walk after the Spirit, as it says in Galatians 5, 16, and verses following, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk after the Spirit. Live according to who you are. But the enemy is a liar. He is a deceiver. He will try to twist what's on your radar screen of how you're being tempted. He will try to twist. He'll try to take your memories. He'll try to take your feelings. He'll try to take what's on your radar screen today. He'll try to tell you that what you feel you want to do is still who you are. Because after all, you've got a history. You've done those kind of things. And now you feel like you want to do it today? See, it's who you are. You're already defeated. You've already failed. Go with the flow. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's a liar. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old spiritual condition has passed away. And if some of the old behaviors are still with us today, they don't need to be. We have a free will, we have a choice. And part of what I want to expose, part of what I want to do is use truth and perspective to help expose the lies and have us embrace the truth so that these old behaviors fall off like dead leaves in the springtime. Have you ever noticed? In the fall, with a lot of trees, they'll shed all of their leaves. But with some trees, they keep a lot of their leaves through the wintertime. And even when spring comes, the leaves, the dead leaves are still there. So what happens in the springtime? New life, fresh start, the life of the tree comes out of its dormancy and the, and the sap starts flowing, the blood, so to speak, starts flowing and it goes out through the branches, hits the tip of the branches. The wind is blowing more in the spring. So the wind of the Holy Spirit, if you will, and the life coming up and out and through the tree and the dead leaf just pops off. And that is how it is with a lot of the behaviors that used to be a part of us that are no longer really who we are. And it's just like with a tree, the Lord wants us to allow the life of Christ to come up from within and pop off the dead leaves that we don't want of idolatry and jealousy and selfishness and pride and anger and unforgiveness and other besetting sins or habits that have been clinging on to us. And we sometimes get frustrated. Why is this clinging on to me? It's not who I am. It's not what I want. I'm trying to get rid of it. And then we focus all the more on it. We try to get rid of it on our own strength. We, ought to try, we try to overcome our weaknesses. How does that work? It doesn't work. And the more we try to overcome our weaknesses, the more guilty we become. We feel defeated. And then we give in. And then we give in to some of the same behaviors because we feel a sense of hopelessness. Who are we focused on? We're not focused on the Lord at those points. We're not focused on who we are in Christ at those points. We're trying to overcome our weaknesses instead of operating from a position of strength, actually operating from a reality of weakness in our own strength. Like Paul said, when I am weak, I am strong. But what's the goal? Bring it around to the goal again. <clears throat> if the goal is Christ for himself, am I going to be hung up on these behaviors? Oh, yeah, I'll care. I'll care if I have anger in my heart. I'll care if I have jealousy in my heart. I'll care if I'm tempted. I'll care about all these things, but I'll care more about him in cultivating my relationship with him. There was a time in my life where I felt ins insanely jealous, and I uh, was, uh, the Lord set me free from that. And then as the years went on, after I surrendered to the Lord, I felt insecure so much of the time. And uh, I know I had a spirit of rejection. And before, before the Lord set me free, I told him, Lord, I want to be free. But if you choose to allow this to remain, if this is what it takes to keep me closer to you, if this is what it takes to keep me closer to you, then it can stay. I, I want it to go, though. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like how it feels. I don't want to feel insecure. I don't want to feel this rejection. But Lord, I can see how you're using it. I can see how you're using it. Is there something in your life? And by the way, he set me free, so thank the Lord. But I came to that point of willingness, Lord, even if it stays and you choose not to set me free. That's okay. If that's, what, if that's what you want to use to keep me closer to you. Before we pause and contemplate what I've shared so far, I'd like you to um, turn to part D in your outline, Price of Freedom Perspectives. 
what I just touched on was part of the truth and reality of allowing the Lord to use positives and negatives in your life, allowing the Lord to use whatever he wants to use. Some of that will be positive, some of that will be negative to you. But to use whatever he wants to use to bring you to the end of himself and to bring you closer to him and to really bring you into true freedom. Price of freedom perspectives. We must think of process and not a quick fix. Even the title of this series can draw you in and say, yeah, I want to be free. But then it's so easy to worship freedom and make freedom the goal. Freedom is not God's goal. Freedom is not God's goal. He wants to be the goal. More of him. That's the only way we'll be free. But if it's freedom, then you'll tend to go through life and you'll measure your life day to day and you'll focus on how you're not free. <laughs> and how will that make you feel? That won't help you, will it? Freedom can't be the goal. So think process, lifelong process in that sense, not a quick fix. If the circumstances go from bad to worse, that's part of the process. Sometimes when you get involved in a class like this, you know, or you get involved in counseling or other things where you're really seeking help to resolve the issues of your heart and life and all of that, and you want to grow, it's amazing how this works, but so often things start falling apart. Things start getting worse in many ways, and then you start thinking, everything was not, it was pretty good before I started coming to this, and ever since then, man, alive. The Lord's convicting me of this or that, and I didn't realize I was such a mess, and all this stuff has been going on in my life. I feel like my life is falling apart. Man, well, I, better, I better get out of here. This is not good. It's actually progress. It just doesn't feel like it. The Lord's goal is not fixing our fixes or making our lives run smoother or making us happy. Our, his goal is himself and his cross is his means to himself. The process includes the word of God, as we're going to talk more about in a moment, the work of the Holy Spirit, people, places, and things, circumstances, things that we'll call positive or negative, all of which are intended by God to bring us to the cross, which is his means to his goal. He's the goal himself and experiencing his life. I'd like us to pause just for a minute. What are the positives and the negatives quote-unquote, positives and negatives going, going on in your life right now that you believe God may be using to bring you to the end of yourself. I'm so glad you're here this morning uh, because I know the Lord really wants this for each of us. And I pray that he's going to turn on the lights here today. He's going to give you uh, revelation. It, it, your life will never be the same as he does. How many of us who profess to be sons and daughters of the Most High God, how many of us and how many people do you know who are really becoming fully alive? I'm not judging, not an unrighteous judge, ju judgment, just observable phenomena. What is the state of the union of the church of Jesus Christ. So many of us are living discouraged, defeated lives. So many of us are just trying to survive. So many of us are not thriving. We're not flourishing. We're not full to overflowing. So many of us aren't that much different than those who could care less about Jesus Christ in terms of how we live our lives daily. There's something wrong with that picture, isn't there? Now, I don't think we want that. I don't think we necessarily like that, so that's not a judgment of you. But I pray that as we continue on in this series, the Lord is going to give you the revelation and the keys to really see what's hindering you from becoming fully alive, becoming a contagious Christian, for, for, for one thing, who's full of salt and light and is inviting, full of love and life and inviting to the world around you. You know, so many times there's an emphasis on evangelism, and that's biblical, making disciples of all nations. But you know, so many times the church of Jesus Christ is trying to evangelize the world, but the world isn't moved or impressed because they see, your wit they see our witnessing approaches. They see how we approach things in terms of how we talk about Jesus, and we're trying to work that into the conversation, et cetera, et cetera. 
but what do they see when they work next to us on the job? What do they see in terms of how we live in the neighborhoods? What do they see in terms of how we relate to our families? What do they see in terms of how we conduct business? What do they see in terms of how we live one another as a community of faith? Not that we're trying to impress anybody, but where's the reality? <laughs> Where is the authenticity? Where is the life? Where's the life? In many situations, oh yeah, we know our doctrines, we know our truth, and we're proud of it, but where's the love? Where's the life? Where's the heart? Where is Christ? That's what this is all about, becoming fully alive, where you really aren't that conscious of yourself. You're thinking about him and others because you're not, you're not, you're not on your mind anymore because you are free. The verdict is in. Free, not guilty, pardoned, love, accepted in the beloved, precious in his sight, wonderful. Hey, the verdict is in. We are not only pardoned, but we have the life of Christ imputed to us. It's incredible. Well, what is it with you? What has the Lord been allowing? Well, I really believe the Lord has a tailor-made plan for each of us. He is actively involved in pursuing each of us. So how is it for you? Exchanging the me first for the Christ life. Godly sorrow over sin, repentance and saving faith. Obviously, that's key. Whatever it takes to come to the end of ourselves. For me, I drove Mindy to the Lord. Her changed life won me to the Lord. Yes, there were others that God used to bring me to the Lord. So I, I came to a point of godly sorrow where I was sorry for the sin. How many of us are sorry for the consequences of sin? How many of us are sorry for the mess we're in, but we're not sorry for the sins committed against God? How many of us are sorry for how we've wronged people more so than how we have wronged God or sinned against him? David had it right in Psalm 51. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba, therefore had sinned against Uriah, put Uriah out there in more of a vulnerable place where he was killed, so he was guilty of murder. So we have adultery, we have murder, and I wouldn't say really a healthy uh, leadership style for the nation of Israel. So he had sinned against Bathsheba, sinned against Uriah, her husband, sinning against the nation of Israel for his poor example, his lack of authenticity and character. And what did he say, though, in his confession? In Psalm 51, against thee and thee only have I sinned, O God. He had it right. That's godly sorrow. Yes, Lord, I made a mess. Yes, I sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, I wronged Uriah. Yes, I am doing a lousy job of leading the nation of Israel. And yes, you tell me I'm a man after your heart, but I'm sure not living like it now. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. That is godly sorrow, where we're sorry for the sin. Not just the consequences. Not, not for, well, I might get in trouble, so I better not do that. Or, I don't want to get any trouble anymore, so I better change. No. It's a godly sorrow, where Jesus is the reason we do what we do or don't do. That is essential. And you can look up those other verses, but I do want to uh, pinpoint Luke 9, 23, because that one definitely bears a little emphasis. Luke 9, 23 through 25, where it says, Then he said, them to, said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very life? Taking up our cross daily, what does that mean? I've heard it referred to over the years in various ways. Many times you'll hear somebody say, as they're going through a difficult situation, you'll hear them say, that's just my cross to bear. Well, that's fine to use that figure of speech, but that's not what the Bible means by that. Your problem to bear, your burden, your circumstance that you're going through right now, that's just my cross to bear. That's not what, that, that's not what this means. Because taking up our cross daily means 
that we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. The old Steve is dead. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, the old I, that lives. But Christ lives in me, the new I. And the life I now live, I live by faith in him. The life I now live in this earth suit and in this temporary fleshly realm, so to speak, the life I now live, I live by faith in whom? Not in me, in him, the one who died for me. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. So that's what that refers to. Taking your cross up daily means that you're living in light of, you're living from the reality of his crucifixion. You're living from the reality of his death. You're living in reality of his burial. You're living in reality of his resurrection. You're living in reality of his ascension. He's seated in the heavenlies. We are seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father because we are in Christ. Death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. We're living in light of that. So we've exchanged the self-life, the me-first life. We've traded it in. We've exchanged it for the Christ life. We're not trying to live the Christian life. Because if you try to live the Christian life, that's just a form of spiritual pride. It's religious pride. Trying to live the Christian life is another form of pride because there's no way we can live it because there's only one that ever has. So we need to yield, die, surrender, allow him to live his life in and through us. Does that mean we just sit back and say, okay, Holy Spirit, take over. I'll just shift my will and neutral and you make all the choices. No. The Holy Spirit will not be a substitute for our will. We still must be engaged to think his thoughts, to choose his choices, to yield, 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 defer, prefer, focus, think, think on these things, whatever is true. Philippians 4, 8, whatever things are true, whatever things are pure, lovely, good report, think on these things. Buy the truth and sell it not. There's choices to be made. 2 Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Choices to be made, a will to yield, taking every thought captive, buying the truth and choosing the not, choosing it, cooperating with the Holy Spirit. That's not just sitting back and shifting to neutral and say, you fill the vacuum. I got the devil out. I got self out. So, okay, take over. Yes, in general terms, take over. But what does that mean? And then I think what trips us up, too, is we think, okay, if I surrender my life to the Lord, can I, can I fulfill this? And then it turns into a commitment to a commitment, which is a, commit to, a commitment to ourself. Because we're trying to live it on our own strength, and there's no way we can. We get defeated, so we give up. It's another trap and lie of the enemy. That's why the goal must be Christ for himself. That's why we must have a process perspective. That's why we can't think in terms of, oh, my goal is not to sin. My goal is to be perfect. My goal... If it comes back that way, it'll sabotage you every time. It must be, you are my life. You are my goal. You are the one, Lord. And I'm, I'm in process. And I, I'm, it's kind of messy. <laughs> I'm not looking too good. I'm not looking well today at all. I'm not, in some days you're going to think, I'm not even looking like much of a Christian today, but I know my heart, and you know my heart, Lord. So let that process work. Let the Holy Spirit convict. He, he's come into the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Cooperate with him. Yield to him. Allow him to be your life and sufficiency. I can remember in those early years of our marriage, after I had driven Mindy to the Lord, and she came to the Lord, and the Lord was really convicting me, and I was fighting it, and I was mocking Christians, and I was saying, I don't want to, you know, we'd be invited to these church uh, gatherings at the uh, church in Fremont, and, and I would resist that because I thought these, these, all these people want to do is stand around eating apple or cherry pie, smiling at each other, and that doesn't sound like fun to me. So I want to go and have some real fun, like go to a bar and drink and all of that kind of stuff. But this couple kept reaching out to us, and others did too, and people were praying for us. And no pun intended, but... Uh, this couple was named uh, Barb and Larry Fowl. They, they took us under their wing and uh, really nurtured us and went after us and just loved on us the power of a life loving you. So there's the word of God convicting. There's the power of a life lived and the influence thereof. And then God uses circumstances 
That's all part of the process in part B. He's going to use positives and negatives. He's so good. He's so good. The Lord has been so good to me. We've all had losses. We've all had things that have gone on in our life. We've all had narrow escapes. We've all had near-death experiences. And you could recount yours as well. You know, I've had car accidents that uh, it's amazing I'm still alive. I was bucked off of a horse once, thrown in the air, landed on my head, got up and walked away. When a friend of ours that lived up in Pender, Nebraska, a friend of the family had a daughter who just fell off, kind of a freak accident, riding double on a horse, fell off the back, broke her neck and died. And here I was thrown way up in the air and landed on my head. So one time I was up on a trailer holding a big balloon dirigible. It was when I was a real estate in real estate business and we had this big uh, advertising balloon and uh, we stored it in this trailer and hauled it around and sometimes took it to parades and one time I was on top of the trailer. I fell off the trailer and it was just like I fell in slow motion and somehow I ended up inside the trailer. I fell off the back and ended, ended up inside and as I was going down it was just like slow motion. He will give his angels charge concerning you. And I could go on and on, and we all have our stories to tell of how he's protected us in ways that we know and in many more ways that we don't even know. He's so good. He's so kind. He, the Lord put our marriage together even though we were running our own lives. He put people in our lives. He was so good. He was so kind. The goodness of the Lord brings you to repentance, Romans 2.4. John 16, 8, the Holy Spirit has come into the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. As I began to be exposed to the word of God, the law leads us to repentance, the word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. I was, ex I was exposed to the truth. I was exposed to the gospel. I went to this uh, Billy Graham movie once, way back in the days in Fremont, back in the 70s, and I went forward after the movie, but you know, I, I didn't know what repentance was. I wasn't ready to give my life up, and, uh, but I went forward and I went through the steps and I said yes, but no change, no change, no repentance, but I heard, I heard the truth and I was hearing it more and more. I wasn't responding at that time. I wasn't mixing it with faith yet, saving faith, but it was working on me. And I can remember even coming to a point of desperation where I thought, well, maybe there is something to this Jesus, because I mocked, I, I would say statements at family gatherings, Thanksgiving or whatever, with the whole family there, and I would, before I came to the Lord, I'd say, oh, those Christians are a bunch of poor people. You know, I was a real estate broker at the time. We go through their houses, we appraise their houses, man, alive. their walls are all cracked, they've got Jesus posters on the wall, it's just a crutch, I mean, you know. And here, nobody said anything at the table. The fool had spoken again. So the Lord was working on me. That was conviction speaking. But then eventually I came to the point, well, maybe there is something to this Jesus. So I began to read the word. And whenever I read it, I hadn't surrendered yet. I, haven't, I hadn't come to saving faith yet. But whenever I read it, I felt such a peace, a peace. I started in Proverbs. I liked Proverbs. In the Living Bible, I can remember this big green cushioned covered living Bible and I'd get in there and read Proverbs and felt such a peace. I still hadn't surrendered, but the word of God was working on me. Like it says in Hebrews 4.12, the, the, the word is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the dividing line of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, exposing the intents of the heart. The word of God was working in me. Psalm 119, 105, the, 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 the word of God is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. First, first uh, Thessalonians 2, 18 through 13, paraphrase, the word is at work in those who believe, and it was beginning to work in me, though I, haven't, I hadn't believed yet. And then there's other verses that are all part of the picture here that I'm trying to, to paint in terms of God using positives and, and negatives uh, to bring us to the end of ourselves. I've mentioned the prodigal son in the past from uh, Luke 15, verses 11 and following, but let's turn to James. Let's turn to James, the first chapter. James, the first chapter, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. 
my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many of us want to be mature, complete, not lacking anything? How many of us like to persevere? How many of us enjoy that when, it, when it's hard? So you back it up a little further. How many of us can actually say, count it all joy, consider it all joy, as you've gone through the problems and trials that you've gone through? How many of you, how, how many of you enjoy that? How many of you enjoy counting it all joy? Does anybody like to count it all joy? It's not fun, is it? But isn't it interesting how it works? If you want to be mature, complete, lacking in nothing, free, becoming fully alive, it's going to include persevering through that which is really challenging. And this is part of taking up our cross daily. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, all things work together for good, not separately. All things work together, not separately, but together for good, for good. That may not feel good for those not everybody, but for those who love God, you know, who are called according to his purpose. And his purpose is to mold us and shape us into his image. Have you come to the point in your life, and if you haven't, no condemnation, but this is so, this is so tied to true freedom because you will not be free until and unless you embrace the perspective that I in presenting today. And the perspective is this. Have you come to the point where you're willing to allow God to use anything? Positives, negatives, that which is hard, that which will break you, it feels like it's breaking you. You're willing to allow him to use anything or anyone to make you into the man or woman he wants you to be. No matter what the loss, no matter what the gain, no matter what the pain, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what. I'm convinced that until and unless we come to this point, we aren't free. I believe it as a direct application of many things I've quoted today from Scripture taking up your cross daily and following him. If you, want to, if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. We must deny ourselves. That doesn't make us a non-person. That's, that's, that's the lie of the devil. That's the lie of the world. You know, we've got to have this independence. We've got to have this creativity. And that's the twist, because we were made in the image and likeness of God. He is the creator, capital C. C. We have an intellect, we have a mind, we have a will, we have emotions. The Creator lives in us to create. But how often do we get into individualism and individualistic application of this? And then it becomes a freedom unto ourselves. Then it becomes a right, a right, an individualistic right unto ourselves, regardless of how it affects anybody else, just so I'm okay. So here is my question today. And if you are willing to enter into this, if you're willing to pray this prayer from your heart, if you are willing, you'll never be the same. And then, of course, keep on inviting him to do what he wants to do. But, but here's the essence of it. Are you willing to invite Jesus Christ to do whatever he wants to do in your life? Keeping in mind freedom won't be the goal. If you have something you want to be free from, that won't be the goal. That'll be a byproduct. He'll be the goal. For himself. He'll be your desire. For himself. And that you'll invite him to do whatever it takes to make you into the man or woman he wants you to be. You'll invite him to break you. Whenever I'm going through a challenging time, I invite more breaking. I, I ask him, break me, Lord. I need to be broken. I need to be broken more. 
I needed to be, I need to be molded and shaped more because there's nothing more important to me, Lord, than knowing you more and becoming the son you want me to be in my living experience. Is there anything more important to you than knowing him more or becoming the son or daughter lived out that he wants you to be? This is the price of freedom. To enter into this kind of lifestyle. And be reminded, the price of this freedom cost the, the, Jesus Christ the very life of Christ. It cost him his very life. This price of freedom cost him his very life. It will cost us our very life in the sense that I'm talking about. But here's the thing. As we give up our life, we gain life. Lord, I just pray that as we give opportunity now for these men and women, sons and daughters, to respond and come forward and make a faith declaration that they give you permission today to allow you to do whatever you want to do in their lives, no matter what the cost, no matter what the pain, no matter what the loss, no matter what the gain, that today will be the day that they'll let you do. From here on out, from here on out, it's like, bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. Whatever it takes, Lord, not just a passive, well, I hope it's not too painful. Bring it on. Bring it on, Lord. Break me, mold me, shape me, make me a whole person. Because a broken person is a whole person in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Move on our hearts to obey and respond to you today. With you continuing to be our goal, in Jesus' name.